We're back. Finally. I missed you guys so much. Still COVID free. Yeah. I promise we have a really good excuse. Like a really good excuse. I've been wearing the same clothes for two weeks now. Oh my gosh. He smells so bad. Um, so sorry we missed you last week and sorry we're late this week, but, uh, do you want to tell them what we've been doing? We have been moving. We have a new studio. So if... Well, we're not quite in the new studio yet. We have a new temporary studio. Um, so we, we moved in the middle of a pandemic, which is kind of a, a weird thing that we'll be able to say forever. I didn't hate it. I mean, I guess it could have been worse. We did. We we, we could have had a lot lot more help. If we, oh my gosh! Yeah, with the, the social distancing. Are, I'm just going to say right now, I'm getting too old. I I'm not going to move that. again. We are both so tired and so sore. So we did hire movers, which was helpful. I mean, we boxed everything up ourselves and we moved some of the stuff, but we did hire some movers to come in and get like all the big furniture. But then. Thank goodness. We, so our old house had um, an upstairs and first floor and a basement. And we, just the two of us, didn't really need that upstairs. We've kind of downsized. So, but um, we had a lot of stuff in storage in the basement. So there was a lot of up and down basement steps. And there was a lot of dust in the basement, and so we feel like we we feel like we have COVID, but we don't. If, if I cough, it's not the COVID. It's, uh, it's just it's just the dust. It's like black it's lung from our right house. Now. But we're excited. We're kind of got everything going right now, and um, the new place has really high ceilings and lots of open. So if the sound quality on this one is a little different, it's because we're we don't not... Ha- we don't have anything up on the walls yet. Yeah, we're not... We are we haven't adjusted to the echoiness of the new place yet. So we'll, we'll see how it sounds. But we are glad to be back. Uh, r- really big debate whether we should take last week off or just kind of try to throw something together. But we were honestly just so busy cleaning, moving, packing... <sighs> There was just no way for us to put out a a quality show like you expect from us. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> trash. And yeah. and everybody would have been like what the heck is going on? So thank you for being patient with us. Um we also were trying to get one out this weekend, but again, uh we really needed to be out of the old house by today. Um there was a lady that came and finished up a, a team of ladies I think that actually came and finished up some last minute cleaning with us. Uh and so we we had to get it done today, so we just didn't have time the, the weekend. So we're sorry, 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 but we're here now. Oh, yeah. So. So. Kind of sticking. Yeah. Not with COVID, well, when but we, it's made us think about a lot of things here with all the started, medical stuff. Yeah. When we started the show, one of the goals was to make it timely, which is why we've covered so much of the coronavirus pandemic. And this week is no different. We wanted to still be a relatively timely, but not keep beating a dead horse, as it were. So this week, rather than just focusing on illness, we're going to focus on medicine. But because this is an hour of your life, we can't just focus on any old regular medicine. So settle in and get comfy because we are about to blow your mind with some of the craziest and most quackalicious medical treatments ever practiced. Okay, so some folks may call this traditional medicine. It's also known as indigenous or folk medicine. It comprises a lot of 
the aspects of traditional knowledge that developed over many generations within various societies and traditions and cultures before the era of modern medicine. So let me just read you the World Health Organization, the WHO, which right now they're kind of taking a lot of heat, but this is their official definition right here. So I'm going to have to read this. The WHO, or the World Health Organization, defines traditional medicine as the sum total of the knowledge, skills, and practices based on the theories, beliefs, and experiences of indigenous indigenous to different cultures, whether explicable or not, used explicable. That's a really key word in this whole thing that you're <laughs> going to be hearing. Used in the maintenance of health as well as in the prevention, diagnosis, improvement, or treatment of physical and mental illness. Traditional medicine is contrast, it contrasts a lot with scientific medicine, is what most of us, when we go to the doctor, we trust the doctor has gone to school and studied for many, many years, and there, there's some science to back this up. But I think as we get into this, you're going to find some things. But yeah, you know, you'll be surprised at how much of the folk medicine and traditional medicine actually kind of trickles into the scientific realm. Yeah. In some Asian and African countries, up to 80% of the population relies on traditional medicine for their primary health care needs. So we're talking about... A large portion of the planet. A large, very large portion of the planet. And actually, in first world countries too um do you know that's a new trend do you know that um there is a medicine called premarin and it's a thyroid medicine i believe it's a thyroid medicine do you know where they get the active ingredient for premarin elderberry leaves nope horse urine oh it's like an actual, hey. it's an actual, like they, they, I don't know that, I don't know that it's legal in the United States anymore. I know that they can sell it in China, um, but it's horse urine and they extract the chemical from like the thyroid chemical from the horse urine and they use it in human and like now, like today in Western scientific civilization. So some of this stuff actually trickles over. But let's talk about the cool stuff. Yeah, that's cool. All right, but but one of the most um like the oldest and kind of weirdest things that you probably are familiar with is bloodletting. I'm sure you've heard of this. Leeching sometimes. For thousands of years, medical practitioners just desperately clung to belief that sickness was just the result of a little bad blood. Yep, bad blood. <laughs> Bloodletting probably began with the ancient Sumerians and Egyptians, but it didn't become common practice until the time of classical Greece and Rome. So it has been around for a long time. Uh, influential physicians like Hippocrates and Galen maintained that the human body was filled with four basic substances, and they called them humors. Uh, and those that term humors, I think, was used even up to the Victorian era. There's yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. Ugh. And those all need to be kept in balance to maintain proper health. And actually, a lot of the essential oil peddlers today will tell you, like, this is what the essential oils people rely on is these four humors um, and the idea that all of 
everything in your body needs to be kept in balance. Now, let's be careful before we start throwing things like that out because we are in a new place and we don't know <laughs> who our neighbors are, so we don't want to... No, I'm not like, trying to offend anybody, but this make is... Making my mad our first week here. No, no, no. I'm not okay. trying to offend anybody, but as I understand it, that is the premise of the essential oil movement is that if you use... Um, the, the essential oil people believe that one of the elements of your body essentially is out of balance. And so there is an oil that you either ingest or breathe in or however you use it that will, that's, it's, it's like on a color wheel, like how um, red and blue are opposites. And, and so it's the same idea that if this is out of whack, there's a, a corresponding yin and yang. Yeah. There's like a corresponding oil that'll bring it back into whack um, that you use. And, and it is, it all traces back to the bloodletting ideas of Hippocrates back in the way back um, and, and keeping these humors in balance. Yeah. Let's just throw out the disclaimer right here. We are not advocating any of these <laughs> no, medical we are not. practices. We are all. not. Uh, no, we are not doctors of any kind, not even the folk kind. So, uh, I mean, if you if you want to write to us and tell us, hey, my granny used to do this or whatever, or I do this and it's uh, worked. I'm going to talk about grannies here mm-hmm. a little bit. If you want to write to us and tell us about it, we would love to hear about it. But uh, but we are not advocating or condoning any of this stuff. No bloodletting? No, no bloodletting. <sighs> um, I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, you do you, but... Uh, so with this in mind, patients with a fever or other ailment were often diagnosed with an overabundance of blood. So to, rest- <laughs> <laughs> so to restore the bodily harmony, their doctor would just cut open a vein and drain some of their vital fluids into a receptacle. What if you were a hemophiliac? Uh, you probably bled out. Then, I mean, you probably just didn't have enough blood in the, uh, I don't know. Rasputin was actually, that was one of the things that he, um, what was the kid? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was Rasputin was in charge of, was it Alexander? Yeah. Uh, and Rasputin in his medical wisdom, uh, treated Alexander's hemophilia with bloodletting and, and ultimately made him sicker. Yeah. Um, but the kid won't stop bleeding right now. (laughs) So in some cases, leeches, we mentioned, were even used to suck the blood directly from the skin. Now, have you ever had a leech attached to you? Unfortunately, I have. What, can you? Ex- I've never had it. So is it? what's it like? Does it hurt? No, most times you don't even know it. It's like, until so you, it's like a tick. Yeah, kind of like, like a, a tick. You know a tick doesn't yeah. really. Yeah, just when you wade through swampy areas, you like, got to oh, check everything out and make sure hmm. there's no leeches attached to you. And does it hurt to pull them off? I wouldn't say it hurt. I mean, Can you just pull them off or do you have to like, like with a tick, you have to be real careful that you don't leave the head in your body. I so think, a lot I of think people you just like, have to pull them off. Some people say you need to like burn their butts so like, that they yeah, let like go. Put a cigarette or something on them or put fire. But I think most people just pull them off. Now don't quote me on that because you, you really surprised me with that. And so I didn't get a chance to oh, Google sorry. that one. No, up. I don't know. I just, okay. I just pulled them off. And you didn't like bleed out or anything? No. Okay. Um, so, while it could easily result in accidental death from blood loss, phlebotomy, which is the study of blood, endured as a common medical practice well into the 19th century. Medieval doctors prescribed blood draining as a treatment for everything from a sore throat to the plague 
And some barbers listed it as a service along with haircuts and shaves. Isn't that convenient? That is why there are barbers poles. If you ever look, what's that thing called? The medical thing, Medusas or whatever it is. <laughs> what's it called? Okay. I don't know. What you're, I don't know. The medical symbol. I don't know what it's called. The um, I, I don't know what it's called. Okay. Well, that's, I know what you're talking about, yeah. but I don't know what it's called. Barber, I used to know. I think barbers poles still have that and they are red and white. Because, because of the blood. Of the traditions, it goes back to blood. Oh, so bloodletting finally fell out of vogue after new research showed that it might be doing more harm than good. But leeching and controlled bloodletting are actually still used today as treatments for certain rare illnesses. I have heard that like for um, blood clots, I, th- I think it's blood clots and for hematomas, bruises, people will, doctors will attach leeches and there are actually medical leeches that oh, wow. some doctors will prescribe to to do this to suck out. How do you do? You just go to the pharmacy and order your leeches. I, I don't know. All right, so we mentioned uh, essential oils as the basic I, um, the basic concept with can, humors. Can I interrupt with something you just reminded me of? It has nothing to do with medical stuff. Sure. Okay, so we're talking about leeches. So that just took me to spiders. Did you know that in uh, Precision um, survey equipment, mm-hmm. they use Black Widow web, uh, pieces of uh, web from a Black Widow. For what? For the crosshairs. So, oh, like they like, actually... Like in the optics, like... Oh, wow. The, yeah. And when I worked at uh, the Defense you, Mapping Agency, we... Do you know why a Black Widow? Because I guess because it's fine and it's very strong. Oh. But when I worked at the Defense Mapping Agency, there were people... That they, they kept black widows there, and they would go and they would harvest the um, the web. Oh, my gosh. That seems like that would be yeah. a really difficult job. And during World War II, completely off topic, the Norton bomb site, mm-hmm. they used hair from a blonde woman because I guess the blonde hair was f- more fine hmm. than other hair, and that's what they used as the, like the crosshairs in the Norton bomb site. I would totally jump on that bandwagon of like, ah. I did my civic duty by donating a piece of hair to my country. Many women did. I mean, I would brag about that with reckless abandon. Hey, like like the current (laughs) thing, we're all in this together. There you go. Let's get back to medicine. I did my part. Okay, so um, I do have, so you said you... I'm going to be easily distracted tonight. I know, it's okay. Um, You said you don't want to offend anybody. So this is actually from the essential oil manufacturer Dutera, which is probably the biggest, most famous one. This is pulled directly from their website. So this is kind of how the essential oil uh, community thinks of their oils. Uh, Dutera says, quote, essential oils do something more profound than cure or heal you of anything. Instead, they influence your natural body functions to work efficiently by bringing balance on a cellular level. Those humors? Yeah, basically. Support healthy cellular apoptosis. Apoptosis. That's a medical word. I should know that. And they are powerful when it comes to reducing stress and releasing toxins within the body. Because the human cell and the essential oils are both lipid, your body allows the essential oil to penetrate and influence the human cells with great ease and efficiency. You will discover some of the most powerful antioxidants in these little bottles of concentrated pure chemical compounds called essential oils, and rest assured what nature made cannot be reproduced in a lab. 
During the distillation process, the plant material containing proteins, enzymes, and fiber are removed, leaving only the most therapeutic part of the plant. Now, if you believe that, great. Awesome. However. Mind over matter. The scientists at John Hopkins, among others, will tell you that essential oils might affect your mood, but they probably don't have much influence on your overall health. Okay, now we'll just throw this in right here. The stoners believe that marijuana will cure cancer. Uh, some of them do. I, 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 you know what? I will throw my hat in the ring and say I don't believe that marijuana will cure cancer, but I do believe that marijuana can help with the effects of cancer. That would and probably symptoms. be true, but I don't think it's going to cure cancer. Um, and this actually, essential oils... Uh, if it did, they, Big Pharma would be growing acres right. and acres they, of right. pot. Um, they throw a lot of big words in here about releasing toxins and all of that. That's what your liver does. Uh, and um, stuff about lipids, which are basically fats. Uh, your no, body actually, made up of... if marijuana cured cancer, Bill Gates would be raising Oh my pot. gosh, focus, Steve. I can't focus. So, um, I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with using essential oils. They smell good. Uh, I can see how it could relax you. Yeah. Especially lavender. Um, but please don't rely exclusively on them to fix whatever. I mean, if you have cancer, essential oils are not going to cure you. Sorry. Not going to happen. Um, but, you know, this also leads into an, another discussion that we are probably not going to get into because I don't think we have time about the placebo effect, which is very, very strong uh, for a lot of people. If you believe strongly enough that something is working, it can work. Yeah. Um, like you said, mind over matter. Now, And that's why maybe some of these things do work for some people. Yeah, it's not actually that the, the things are working. It's that if you believe strongly enough that you can kind of trick your body into um, maybe not healing itself, but definitely improving the symptoms. Now, Well, like right now is they, they're going through, and not that we're studying this, but you we hear about it, mm-hmm. as they're coming up working on vaccines for COVID-19, they when they get to the human trials, they have to let someone get the actual vaccine and mm-hmm. someone gets the placebo because they have to try to figure out yeah if it's working or not. Now I, I will say, um, I this is so bad. I shouldn't. Then but, don't. No, but I will. Um, it's fine uh, because the uh, the subject in question. I can always edit it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the subject in question, and you know about this. It's not super bad, but the subject in question has since passed. But. Um, there was a time that my grandfather was uh, relying very heavily on sleeping pills and we were trying to kind of transition him off of his sleeping pills or um, get him to take, he was actually taking, like he was becoming addicted uh, and taking more than what he was supposed to. So to kind of wean him back off, um, it sounds kind of mean, but we were doing it for a good reason. We switched to fish oil, which basically is just a benign nothing. Um, it, you know, it was okay. Like we researched and said, it's not going to have any negative effect on any of the other medicines that he's taking. And Um. (laughs) he, his doctor was okay with it. Like it was fine. So, um, it didn't work though. Like he, I had, okay, we'll have to bring this up. And 
Oh, I, I really, we've I really, already talked about this. I really hate to do this. Is this what I think it's going to be? Yeah. We've so already talked ha- about this. I had to have shoulder surgery one time, oh my and my stomach just cannot handle muscle relaxers. And We've talked about Dr. this on the show before. Dr. Kim over there <laughs> was giving me, I was supposed to you get- You can just fast forward. We've heard I, this I was already. supposed to be getting Percocet and morphine. <sighs> Percocet and morphine. I was getting <laughs> morphine and muscle relaxer, and I was- couldn't figure out why my shoulder's still hurting and why my stomach was so upset until about three days into this. And Kim's like, she came and she was in tears. It's like, oh no, oh no, I've been giving you muscle relaxer, naproxen or something like that instead of your your Percocet. But did you die? <laughs> no, I no. did not okay, die. Okay, moving on. Okay. Okay, this so, one, this one kind of goes back to the Premarin. Do- Dr. Kim and her experiments <laughs> over here. All right. Anyway, uh, this goes back to kind of the Premarin that we were talking about with the um, the horse urine, animal dung. <laughs> I, I, I think this is really interesting. The things that people will do and allow themselves to be exposed to. Uh, again, the ancient Egyptians. A lot of this started with uh, like the waybacks. They had a remarkably well-organized medical system complete with doctors who specialized in healing specific ailments. Also totally unrelated if you go back to like one of our Porkopolis episode. Um, remember, um, the ancient Egyptians were the first ones to give receipts for things. Remember that? Mm-hmm. They were way far advanced than we give them credit for. I have learned so much because of an hour of your life. I, I have too, really, honestly. Um, anyway, the cures that the Egyptians prescribed weren't always up to snuff. Lizard blood, dead mice, mud, and moldy bread were all used as topical ointments and dressings, and women were sometimes dosed with horse saliva as in <laughs> cure for an impaired libido. <laughs> but most disgusting of all, Egyptian physicians used human and animal excrement as a cure-all remedy for diseases and injuries. According to 1500 BCs, Ebers, Ebers, Papyrus, donkey, dog, gazelle, and fly dung were all celebrated for their healing properties. Fly dung? Yeah. I bet that costs a lot of money because it's probably hard to harvest. Um, they all were celebrated for their healing properties and their I've ability. I've never seen a fly turd, I don't think. Ability before. to ward off bad spirits. Well, these repugnant remedies may have occasionally led to tetanus and other infections. <laughs> They probably weren't entirely ineffective because oh, no. say it ain't so. Because research shows that the microflora found in some types of animal dung actually do contain antibiotic substances. So, a little further along in human history, nosebleeds. Can you explain dousing your wife in horse saliva? Ah, uh, what that's supposed to do? It's supposed to increase her her libido. Okay. Nothing gets me hotter than some good old horse spit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a little further along in human history, nosebleeds, according to the Guardian uh, newspaper, um, were treated with warm hog's dung. So, already your nose is bleeding, and I guess you just pack some some pig poop up in there, and not, uh, your nose is going to stop bleeding. 1600s Ireland, the father of chemistry, Robert Boyle, treated cataracts by drying human poop into powder and blowing it into the eye. So it'll either give you pink eye or fix your cataracts. 
there was also excrement being used to treat epilepsy in that same country in Ireland 100 years later, or more specifically, the dung of an infant pulverized. That had to be baby poop. Baby poop. Had to be. So you'd think that... That first sticky stuff? uh, Yeah, I guess. Uh. You'd think that today we'd have moved past the excrement as elixir phase, but you'd be wrong. Allow me to introduce you to the fecal transplant. Oh, no. In 1957, a young microbiologist named Stanley Falcow started asking sick people to swallow their own poop. I would not have gone back to this doctor. (laughs) He was working. I would have asked for a second opinion. (laughs) He was working as a technician in a hospital lab at a time when patients were besieged by a rogue strain of the gut bacterium Staphylococcus. So staph infections. So to prevent the bug from infecting people during surgery, all the patients were told to take preemptive antibiotics before their operations. Now, unfortunately, these drugs also decimated the beneficial bacteria in their guts, leaving them with diarrhea and indigestion. Their stools, Falco later wrote, were even odorless. Fuel stools can make that claim. What's it called? Sifty or... um... We'll get there. Hold on. Is that what it is? Yeah. mm -hmm. One of Falco's colleagues came up with the solution. Get the patient to bring in a stool sample and give that back to them after their operations to replenish their microbes. So Falcao's job was to pipe the poop into capsules that the patient could then swallow. And guess what? It worked. Oh, no. It worked. And actually, uh, the word that you were looking for is C. diff. C. diff. Which is actually uh, ultimately what your father passed from, correct? It was a contributing factor. It contributed a lot to his passing. So that's basically what C. diff is, is when you are generally you contract it in the hospital um, and it uh, basically is a disease um, where you are more or less on too many antibiotics and it kills the good bacteria in your body along with the bad bacteria. So It's hard enough if you are young... Yeah. To deal with this. And if you're more elderly, it's it's it's, it's a almost tough, a death sentence. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a tough thing to get over. Um, but this is actually one of the ways that they they treat C. diff is they take the patient's own stool and they put it into capsule form. And um, you know, you you give your stool, you give your poop before you go into the hospital when you still have all of that good gut bacteria in there that you need. Uh, and then they they pulverize your poop and turn it into a capsule. And they're still doing this now? Yeah. I'm going to have to ask our doctor friend if he's doing this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's move uh, on. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a treatment for C. diff. I don't know if they do it, like, I don't, I'm not sure if it's... Do they do it in first world countries? I think so. Okay. But it may not be, like, the patient's poop, but it's basically, like, that's, it's some kind of, Seems like they could simulate this in a lab. I don't know. All right. Okay. um, okay. And so then cinnabar and mercury. Now we're going to get a little sciencey here for a minute. Cinnabar (laughs) is what? You're going to get sciencey. I know. I know. Right. Uh, Cinnabar is a hydrothermal mineral that precipitates from ascending hot waters and vapors as they move through fractured rocks. Did you get that? Yeah. Okay. It forms at shallow depths where temperatures are less than about 200 degrees Celsius, and it usually forms in rocks surrounding 
geologically recent blech, volcanic activity, but can also form near hot springs and fumaroles. And you can see some cinnabar um, at Yellowstone. They have quite a bit of it. Hmm. Essentially, it's a form of mercury. It's bright, brilliant red. It's been associated with health properties ever since the second century in China. In the fourth century, an alchemist named Ko Hung started making gold from cinnabar because he believed that literally that man is what he eats. So if you eat gold, then you're going to be wealthy. Um, and cinnabar is actually far more affordable than actual gold. I was going to say he wasn't making real gold. No. There has to be some sort of properties that are different. He, he, so Ko Hung used cinnabar on the feet to enable a person to walk on water. Mm. He placed it over a doorway to ward off thieves and then combined it with raspberry juice to enable elderly men to beget children. Hmm. So cinnabar, much like bloodletting, was kind of a catch-all, like it would fix all kinds of things. Sounds better than uh, horse saliva. Oh, yeah. Aristotle is actually credited with the oldest known written record of mercury, or as he called it, quicksilver. He believed that mercury was the component in all metals that gave them their metalness. And at that time, it was used in ceremonies and to treat skin disorders. Um, in India and China, mercury was used as an aphrodisiac and for medical therapy around 500 BCE. Chinese women are reported to have consumed mercury as a contraceptive 4,000 years ago, and cinnabar is still used as a sedative in traditional Chinese medicine. And actually, um, there are rumors that because mercury is shiny, uh, rich folks would bathe in it. Um, like if you could afford a tub full of mercury, um, like the aristocratic folks and the rulers would have swimming pools essentially full of mercury and they would just swim around in it because it was shiny and pretty. In the era before antibiotics... Sexually transmitted diseases were deadly, and some of the scholars believe that syphilis was the most critical medical problem in the first half of the 16th century. <laughs> so in the desperate search for a cure, that's what killed Mozart. Did you know that? Yeah. Syphilis. Uh, so in the desperate search for a cure, it was almost inevitable that various forms of mercury would be tried. And actually, the treatment appeared to benefit some patients. It was the remedy of choice for syphilis in Protestant Europe, it was already being used in Western Europe to treat skin diseases, and mercury ointments continued to be used well into the 19th and even 20th century. It's been used to treat everything, including teething babies, melancholy, constipation, influenza, parasites. Um, it came in a powdered form that you could rub on a baby's gums or mix into any liquid or lotion of your choice. It was heated for steam baths where inhalation was considered beneficial. And, and you know what? Even Abraham Lincoln used mercury to treat headaches. And you know what? Now, I, if you're in a school and someone breaks the thermometer, they evacuate the school because of the mercury in the thermometer. We have some mercury. Yes. Uh, it is in a tightly sealed jar that is unopenable. That came from my grandmother's house, and I don't know why they had it, but I remember as a kid... I could take that mercury and I could pour it in my hand and it was fun to play with. Now, I don't think it, I've had any side effects from it. Now, interesting that you should say that because mercury may affect the nervous system, leading to neurological symptoms such as nervousness, anxiety, irritability, or mood changes, numbness, memory problems, depression, and physical tremors. So you want to backtrack a little bit? 
and okay. maybe not. I'm not nervous. I don't have anxiety. <laughs> the Mercury. I sometimes I get a little irritable, but <laughs> no, that is easily explained. <laughs> Kim, excuse uh, me. <laughs> uh, mood changes, numbness, memory problems. I think that just comes with it. <laughs> don't suffer from depression, and I don't have physical tremors. You do sometimes if you don't eat, but don't we all? Yeah. Um, so as the levels of mercury in the body rise, more symptoms will appear. And these symptoms can vary depending on a person's age and exposure levels. So adults with mercury poisoning might experience uh, symptoms like muscle weakness, a metallic taste in your mouth, nausea and vomiting, a lack of motor skills or feeling uncoordinated, the ability to feel in your hands, your face, or other areas, changes in vision, hearing, speech, Difficulty breathing. Difficult- With all the moving we've just done, I don't think it's affected any of my physical strength. Yeah. Um, affecting It can affect your ability to walk or stand straight. And if you give it to kids, mercury can affect a child's early development. Um, children with mercury poisoning, so like those babies. I'm trying that, to think back now. Keep going. Those babies that had mercury rubbed on their gums when they were teething, uh, they might show symptoms like impaired motor skills, problems thinking or problem solving. Um, difficulties learning to speak or understand language, issues with hand-eye coordination, and they might be physically unaware of their surroundings. Mm -hmm. So mercury is, uh, I mean, it can be used medicinally, but it generally has fallen out of favor as a medical treatment for most things these days. Mm. Well, is it my turn? It's your turn. Let's go way back. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about a few things, and a lot of my... What I'm going to be talking about is going to be focused around like um, Appalachian type medicine and these I'm type of things. So but excited before for we this. do that, the vomitorium <laughs> that is the place ancient Romans went to puke after a big feast so they could eat more. Yeah. It was made famous on Saturday Night Live. Yes. I, think, guess, I but, think we should install a vomitorium. But guess what? What? They didn't do that. <gasps> a vomitorium is actually a passage situated between or below or behind a tier of seats and an amphitheater. It's where the people would go in and out of the amphitheater. So a vomitorium is not what you think a vomitorium is. I am highly disappointed. So in the stadium, it's where big crowds could exit rapidly at the end of performance. Mm. Uh, they can also be used for pathways for actors to enter or leave the stage. So like you're vomited out onto the stage. The Latin or off the stage. The Latin word vomitorium, plural vomitoria, uh, derives from the verb vomo. Vomo. Mm-hmm. Vomo vomire. Mm-hmm. Or to spew forth an ancient Roman architecture, vomitoria was designed to provide rapid egress for large crowds at amphitheaters and stadia, as they do in modern sports stadia and large theaters. So I am no longer going to, when we go to the movies, I'm no longer going to refer to the, the hallway as the hallway. It's now going to be the vomitorium. Where's the, and I think you would be correct. I From now on, that's what I'm calling it. Okay. So now let's move up. I just thought I'd throw that little tidbit out there, but I, you really disappointed me with what the f- like you shattered all of my dreams, not all of them, but all of my dreams and illusions. Okay, <laughs> I just really I had a lot of respect for the Romans and their commitment to excess, but you just blew it all away. I want to say it, but I'm not. Do it. <laughs> 
No, I'm not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Appalachian medicine. So there, there's a lot of... Um, have you ever seen the Beverly Hillbillies? Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah, Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies. So in many, you know, Granny always had these cures like with possum this or whatever, turnips and herbs and, and things like that. There were grannies in many small rural towns that used herbs and plants to treat for illness. Now, I think what we're going to see a lot in the, I'm just going to call them mountain remedies mm-hmm. and mountain medicine, uh, relied heavily on herbs and natural type things to do this. There seems to be a big resurgence of this today. Well, um, a lot of the modern mes- medicine actually comes from these things We and, until they get manufactured artificially in labs and stuff like that. But the, the roots of all this stuff do come, not all of it, but... Yeah, I come- have some friends that practice um, Wicca who grow a lot of these herbs and different things and use them as poultices and and Granny was always talking about putting the poultice on Mr. Drysdale. Yeah, so um, it, I think it's becoming a increasingly popular again. Yeah, well, many of these recipes or medicines were passed down through many generations. Now, a lot of this was, and they call them the grannies that were out there. So these, a lot of these were passed down to the women to, to do this. They were, they were the ones that were expected to be the, be the granny doctors. But these women, they could also suture. They could treat burns, which was not that uncommon because back in the day you had to cook over an open fire. And with the type of clothing that the women were wearing, it wasn't uncommon for them to catch fire. So, th- so that was, they, they, the, the grannies knew how to treat burns. It also kind of makes sense that they would be the ones to do this because um, you think of men as the hunters and the women as the gatherers. Yeah. Um, you know, men I think it are, followed some tr- more, yeah, more traditional, traditional roles. roles. And the ladies, the grannies, they were also very skilled at birthing babies. Midwives. Midwives is what we know today. Mm-hmm. Um, these women knew that catnip tea or red alder tea kept infants from getting the hives. Uh, they also pres- uh, prescribed stewed-down calamose root to help soothe colic in colicky babies. They would put sulfur in the soles of shoes to help ease flu symptoms. Now, I don't know how much that did. Yeah, I was going to say, how much of these are actual, like, did they actually do any good? Any of these full Pl- granny placebo. remedies? Placebo. Some of them did, yes. Okay. And they're in a lot, like we said, a lot of our modern medicine, a lot of our cures are really based on the herbs and the things like that these go back to. And of course, a lot of them now are made in labs synthetically, but mm. it, it, it does trace back to a lot of these things. Um, if someone came in with a bad burn, they knew that blowing smoke and chanting the right words could take the fire out. Ooh. Oh, can I now, say something about a burn? Yeah. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? So a lot of these traditional things... There was a lot of controversy when it crossed over between early Christian values mm. and witches and things like that. Yeah. That a lot of these practices weren't accepted because especially if they're like chanting, chanting and things words. like that, the early uh like uh, the pilgrims and the early um Protestants, mm-hmm. primarily the Protestants. In fact, a lot of this is when they came from Europe, 
a lot of these people were persecuted in Europe as witches yeah. for practicing their medicine. So there's a lot that goes into this besides practicing medicine. Now, you got to be careful with some of these granny remedies because the burn one, uh, I once, when I was like 10 or 11, um, I my parents rode motorcycles and we were out camping with them and some of their friends. Um, and one of my stepdad's friends had me on the back of his motorcycle and put the kickstand down and I put my leg down and burned my leg on the tailpipe of his motorcycle. And we you caught still up. still have a scar there. I do. When we caught up to everybody else, somebody said, well, my grandma used to say put butter on a burn. And so they found some butter way out in the middle of the country. I don't know where they found it. And they slathered my leg up with butter and ended up giving me um, a, an infection on a third degree burn. It was really bad, very painful. It turned green. Like there was some gangrenous tissue in there. It was really gross. So be careful when you're using these uh, granny recipes because sometimes they don't always turn out well. Yeah. You sure you had gangrene? Yeah. I mean, they, it was Did wasn't, a doctor confirm that? Yes. Gangrenous okay. tissue. Like it wasn't like tons of it, but there there was enough that they had to go in and cut out some gangrenous tissue. Oh, cool. No. I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, no, it okay. was not anyway, cool. It and it was gross. Anyway, these healing healing traditions of Appalachia or folk remedies, they're, they're kind of, um, they really intermingle with the knowledge of the Iroquois and the other woodland Indians of the, the tribes. Midwest that, especially, I would think. Yeah, and Appalachia. Appalachia. And yeah. Appalachia, because... They, the Native Americans, were familiar with the roots, and I, I you know, I imagine Berries. they had their, you know, they had their, uh, their medicine men sure. and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of this stuff just cross cultures and the barriers. As the white people, as they came across, they started ad- adopted the use of ginseng and sassafras, wild cherry bark, sumac, black walnut, dogwood bark, uh, yellow yellow root, and club moss as Things that they had learned in Europe, not necessarily so much some of these, I'll I'll say the herbal type stuff. Club moss. I don't know if it's club moss, but I heard not too long ago, um, there is now a theory that uh, the the witch trials in Salem, um, a lot of the girls were... um, affected by some kind of moss that they had eaten that had like grown on bread, like rye bread or something. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Do you, do you remember And I've also was? heard the theory that a lot of their uh, cups and the things they ate off of and drank out of were made of pewter, which was heavily oh. with um, mercury. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. Now, as a side note, for surgical gloves, before rubber and plastic, doctors used to coat their hands with lycopodium powder uh, and what this does, the spores of club moss, which is water repellent, and it's an antiseptic. So that's hmm. what doctors used before they had rubber gloves. Interesting. Yeah. Now, the native peoples adopted the plant, the immigrants such as mullein, um, catnip mint, and that's not the catnip that we give the cat to watch the cat do crazy things. <laughs> but they used it as uh, to soothe colicky babies. Sassafras was actually the Mm. first export from the New World to the Old World before tobacco. Oh, wow. Yeah. So long um, the the long sea voyages, and we've talked about this before, um, called scurvy. Mm. 
And so the natives who greeted them recognized the illness and treated the people as they were coming over with sassafras root tea. I love sassafras. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's actual real medicine with this. And so the first import, even before tobacco, going back to medicine. Interesting. Yeah, was sassafras. Did not know that. Yep. Rapid recovery caused great rejoicing and sparked a profitable trade in the route. It was called the good news out of the new world. Woohoo! Yeah. And a lot of people right now uh, believe in ginseng. Yeah, so much so that it has been way over-harvested, and we've had to import it from China. They have massively huge ginseng I don't think fields. right now is the time anybody wants no, to import anything from no, China. No, you're right. You're right. But the Chinese have massively huge ginseng fields, and they're, I think, the number one exporter of ginseng in the, in the world. Okay, so sassafras was one of the, the ingredients in the first iron and vitamin tonic marketed commercially. And it's still available today. SSS tonic was an, an Indian formula patented by a South Carolina judge in 1857. The three S's originally stood for sassafras, spice bush, and sweet birch. It sounds delicious. Yeah. In 17th and 18th century America, traditional folk healers, like we said, were frequently women, and they used these herbal re- remedies and also cupping and leaching like you mentioned. Now, where did we last see cupping? When did we oh, first... Oh, Michael Phelps uses cupping. Cupping yeah. is a big thing. Like, that's actually an ancient Eastern practice. Yeah. Um, and they they use it now. Like, athletes use it to stimulate... Or, it, like, something... What is it? The... It pulls the blood. No, it's not the... the... Yeah, <sighs> it pulls the blood into the place, places where it's really needed. I thought it was That's the some principle behind cupping. Kind of other chemical, yeah. body chemical, whatever. Now, it might do that. Endorphins or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Endorphins, but yeah. Okay. So my family is from Eastern Kentucky. And some of these things I have seen, I have witnessed. I had one grandmother that believed, and I think we mentioned this last week, that if you had an earache, if you poured pee in your ear, it would cure the earache. Did she know how that worked? No, but she had been told probably by... Her grandmother. Her grandmother. Yeah. Okay. So my grandmother she was born about 1904 so her mother would have been born back in the 1800s 1800s and her grandmother earlier on and so it was just one of those things you know the mountain medicine that was passed down did you ever watch did you witness her doing that and did did it work uh no i never witnessed it and i never complained about an earache around (laughs) granny either now my other grandmother if you get a cold, and some people use Vicks Vapor Rub. Now, what are you supposed to do with Vicks Vapor Rub? You're supposed to rub it on your chest so that you breathe in the vapors of the fumes. The vapor. My grandmother, my dad's mom, who was born, I think, 1896. Oh, wow. She would reach in with her two fingers, scoop out some Vicks Vapor Rub, put it on her tongue, (gasps) and swallow it. Oh, no. Yeah. No. I kid you not. Ooh. Now, this lady in her lifetime, had 13 or 14 children. She cooked with lard. She raised her own garden. They slaughtered their own meat, their pigs, their beef. She lived in 94, and she was as healthy as a horse until the day she died. Her mind was as sound. Now, her body eventually Yeah, just going to give out. Yeah, but, wow. But, but, uh, I, yeah. So one time I ate um, Bengay on a dare, 
uh, I made 10 bucks off of it and it made my mouth go numb for two hours. So I can't imagine putting... Don't do this at home, kids. Yeah, no, really don't. Uh, it wasn't worth it. Um, I can't imagine eating VapoRub. No, I can't either. But I have Ugh. witnessed her do that many Gross. times. Now, let's talk about early early medicine and we're, you know, we're talking about sterilization and things like that. My dad and four of his brothers and sisters had their tonsils removed at the same time by old Doc Ford. <laughs> and uh, apparently the story I've heard it from my dad, from my aunts and uncles that this happened to, they laid all the kids across the bed and Doc Ford just went from kid to kid to kid oh, wow. and removed all their tonsils out one by one. <sighs> by the way, my dad and several of his brothers and sisters were born in jail. Now that usually raises eyes. <laughs> so let that sink in for a minute. But it wasn't. Is that, this the is the, this is the granny that lived healthy that would pee in your ear? Yep, both of my grandmothers were well up into their nineties before they passed. So the one that would pee in your ear is your dad's mom. No, that was my mom's mom. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> knowing that granny, I, I can so, see that. But you know, my grandmother was not in jail. It was actually my grandfather was the jailer back in Eastern Kentucky in this little town. And, uh, in fact, that building where they were born and where they lived for many years is still standing in Inez, Kentucky. That's in Martin County. Now, we need to note that... So they lived in the jail? They lived in the jail, yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's pictures, and you've seen them, like where they were... I think sometimes if they had to go out and the kids were little, they would, like... Maybe it was my aunt would, like, lock some of them up in the cell if there wasn't anybody in there. <laughs> They, they like babysit them and keep them from wandering the streets. <laughs> and there's another story, I'll tell you that another time, why my dad had the, the nickname of Lindbergh. Oh, yeah. But that, that's, that's a, a story, story for another time. Um, we need to note that folk healing is not native to Appalachia. Oh, no, not at all. No, many regions around the world have their own methods and beliefs about all this. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've talked, I've, I've read about, and we just don't have time, but in Mexico... In China, mm -hmm. in Europe, uh, Native Americans, uh, some of the islands like in New Guinea and places like that, a lot of these people, and they have all their roots in, in down in South America. So we know that right now as people go through to search for cures, they go to the rainforest to try to find these plants to, yeah. to make their medicines from. Yeah, so, yeah. And that's one of the concerns we have. With the the rain, the deforestation, deforestation of the, the rainforest, yeah. because we don't know what. Well, and animals too. Yeah, that there are. I mean, well, I, said, yeah, I said it's one some of, of the things. Some of the animal excrement in the rainforest in the Galapagos could be highly beneficial. Yeah. So many of the um, the traditional cures, and I've I've said this a couple times, are actually based off roots and herbs that are out there. And, you know, how did they figure this stuff out? I mean, like, how did you, the first person to look yeah, at I an mean, orange and say, I'm going to cut that thing open and see if it tastes good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, there are so many things, like pineapples. Yeah. How do you get, or even like, we'll stick with an orange. You bite the outside of it and it's gross. It's bitter and yucky, but inside is delicious. Yeah. It's. Trial and error. Same with bananas. Yeah. Or an oyster. 
I mean, like, uh, let me eat pe- that. Let me eat that slimy, <laughs> snotty-looking thing. Yeah, but you know what? Some people batter that <laughs> batter that thing up and deep fry, and it's some, pretty tasty. Some people would argue that with you, but no, I love oysters. I like, I like oysters, oysters on the half shell too. I've had oysters from the Rocky Mountains before. Yes, that's another story right there. <laughs> okay, now look, we 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 talked about um, religion played a big part in this, and. It caused some people to get, I don't want to say extradited, but what's the word I'm looking for, but ostracized. Uh, yeah, I just had it and it just um I think ostracized is the word. Ostracized is a yeah, good word, yeah. Because it didn't fit with traditional Christian beliefs or if you were in another culture, it didn't fit with those beliefs. So, you know, medicine... Yeah, you know, you, now, people, now we look at medicine more scientifically. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. People fear what they don't understand. So if you are one of, you know, if you, um, we talk about the Salem witch trials and Tituba as an African slave knew uh, different remedies, folk remedies and things than what um, the European Puritan society knew and so because they that's the word i was looking for earlier because they didn't understand her folk remedies then you know she must be bad and 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 to be feared Uh, and i think that's a lot of um you know i mentioned a few minutes ago that i have some friends that are wiccan and they practice um quote unquote witchcraft, but not like what most people would think of as witchcraft. They harvest different herbs and spices and things and they use them to to uh, make poultices and and treat different ailments. But because a lot of people don't understand the alchemy and the the um, kind of science behind um, botanicals and naturalistic healing, uh, it's freaky and weird and scary. Well, we're listening. We're listening to another podcast right now about the satanic. Oh, the satanic panic. The yeah, the satanic panic. Um, I yeah, can't wait to get I, to into that one. I, I think that we. I mean, we. You know, we we ostracize is a good word for it. Um, people that think differently than we do, and I'm guilty of it too. I came up with that word. I, you didn't come up with it. Um, I, I thought mean, of it. In you, my brain you did. Here you did. Uh, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I, I tend to be skeptical of um, things that I don't fully understand or things that kind of run contrary to what I have been taught. But if you really are open-minded about it, a lot of the, like I said, a lot of the current medicinal practices come from these ancient uh, folk. Ancient Chinese secret. Well, yeah, and, and just old, old folk remedies. Yeah. Yeah, so, look, some of these things are, I keep saying that, well, look, but some of these <laughs> things are sent around uh, religious beliefs. Some are just nonsense. Yeah. Some have some basis the, in science. And some, it's the nonsensical ones. Sometimes the placebo effect is a real thing. Like, um, the one that makes me think is the crystals and how crystals can heal you. I don't believe that, but if you strongly believe that, Maybe it works for you. Yeah. Well, and some of these things are a combination. Yeah. So I think that's going to wrap up our show tonight. Have we already been an hour? 
it's 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 going to come up right on an hour by the oh, time we wow. get done with everything here. Okay. Well, uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to say? No, it's just that I'm very very tired, but <laughs> we are both glad to be back. Yes, I miss you guys the, so putting much. Putting the show out right now, and it this is good stress relief for us. It is so good. I it's so nice to get back to a feeling of normalcy after kind of a topsy turvy couple of weeks with moving and. Uh, just all the stuff that comes with it. So I'm very glad to be back in the studio. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. Um, if you would like to drop us a line, if your family has some of these... Some of those weird things that weird grandma made remedies, you do. Yeah, if grandma poured pee in your ear... <laughs> write to us. Write to us. Um, especially if you are uh, from a very, um, I guess... Unique? Ethnocentric, I was going to say. Okay background so like if your family is super polish or super irish or super mexican or whatever you know like you're really super proud of your heritage um and you follow those cultural beliefs that have been passed down from your nation through generations write to us i would love to hear some of those uh so you can write to us at a lost hour at gmail.com which is also our twitter Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at an hour of your life. All right. So I, this stuff has fascinated me. I love you, it. You said you always wanted to go back and get a doctorate in folklore. folklore. It's my and big dream. It's this, never going to happen. This but. stuff, I mean, you like aliens a lot, but this type of stuff oh, really Oh, I think it's really so fascinating. Because, I mean, I have family roots mm-hmm. that go back to a lot of this stuff, and it's just really, really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love folklore. All That's right. One of my favorite things. All right. So. So here we are in our temporary studio. In our temporary studio. So as we continue to get moved in, we will eventually move into the actual the studio. The permanent studio will be probably beginning of July. But yeah. for now, thank you for spending an hour of your life with us. So from our beautiful studio now in Sugar Creek Township, Kim. I just said it. Thank oh. you for spending an hour of your life with us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. This week's sources include Atlas Obscura, The Star, Medical Daily, History.com, CorrosionDoctors.com, and WildCrafting.com. Thanks. And from Steve's personal knowledge and experiences. Go let your granny pee in your ear.